every week for centuries. We've turned to the weekly wisdom provided by Torah to instruct and lead us to the holy, to the life that God expects us to live. However, it's not only the content of each portion, the stories, the commandments, and the events that have provided clues to the life well lived. It's not only those things that have given us our way in to the guidance that the Torah provides. For those who read the Torah the way a good cook uses each part of an animal to make a sumptuous meal, everything in Torah teaches us, everything. Everything in Torah teaches us Torah. Lessons can be learned from the shapes of letters, from ellipses in the text, from extra words, even the names chosen for each one of the parshiot are Torah. The name of a given Torah portion, often the first significant word in the intentional division of the Torah by the rabbis into weekly portions, signals an energy, an insight, a highlight, a theme, a directive, an essence. Chaye Sarah teaches us about the life of Sarah. Noah, the name of the Parsha, where Noah, of course, is the human in whom hopes were placed, the story of the flood. Vayakel, last week's Torah portion, which means to gather the significance of community. This week's Torah portion is called Pekude. In the regular Torah cycle, it's often read together with the previous Parsha as a double portion, Vayakel, Pekude. But given that this year is a leap year, one that happens seven years out of 19, we extend those two portions into their own week. Last week was Vayakel, and this week, Pukude. As it stands alone, it invites us into a closer reading of the meaning of the name chosen for the Parsha, Pukude. The root of the word Pukude, Pe Kuf Dalid, Pakad, has many varied meanings and connotations to a point, to attend to, to muster, to number, to reckon, to visit, to punish, to remember, to look after, to care for, to lay upon as a charge, to give as a deposit, to review, to entrust. That's just a portion of the possible meanings of that root. Our portion will begin with these three words. Ela, these. Pikude, the pikude. Hamishkan of the tabernacle. These are the pikudei of the tabernacle. In its usage here, it means, here's a list of the things that make up the tabernacle. The kud in the tabernacle's context means it's functional. Pakad means to be chosen. It's to have a deployment. Pakad, in this context of the tabernacle, the final portion of the book of Exodus and the final portion about the tabernacle project begins with a list of all of the details that go into building a tabernacle. Anybody here who's had a building project knows the Excel spreadsheets are long. There's list upon list upon list. Project managers know there are a lot of pikudim a lot of things that have to be checked off. But like all things in Torah, intertextual resonance matters. Our Torah is not only one space, 
only one word, but the cross-reference of one word gives us a deeper meaning of the word here by knowing what it means in other places. And I've already mentioned a couple of the meanings, but let's look at a couple here that might expand what pekudeh hamishkan might mean. And this is the pekudeh of this tabernacle. The most famous usage of the word pakad probably is in chapter 21 of the book of Genesis. It's famous because even though it appears only once in the Torah, we read it twice. And boy, do we read it on an important day on Rosh Hashanah itself. The Torah reading of the new year every year begins with these famous words, Vadonai pakad et Sarah kasher amar. And God pakad Sarah as God had promised. The verse in chapter 21 of the book of Genesis means pakad as remembrance. That which might have been forgotten, a promise, an oath, a pledge that might be somewhere buried in the annals of your own personal or our collective history has been remembered. And it's remembrance too signals that the promise that was given by those who promise is worth it. God's remembrance in chapter 21, given as it is to Sarah who was waiting for the birth of a child like nothing else, was itself a relief. Hope that had been lost was now returned. And it comes and signals on Rosh Hashanah to us when we come to the end of the year that hope's not lost, it springs eternal. A promise will be remembered and rebirth is possible. The second usage of the word pakad is in the story of Joseph. When Joseph dies, before he dies, he says to the brothers, make, I want to make you swear, a, a promise that when God will remember you and this people, that you will bring my bones with you when you leave Egypt. Pakod yifkod Elohim etchem v'halitem et atmotayim Joseph says to his family, don't leave me behind. Pakod Yifkod, God will remember, but more importantly, God will redeem you. There is a promise of freedom, of liberation, of escape. And lastly, at least for tonight, a very, very well-known song as I was growing up was, Al Chomotayach Yerushalayim, Hifkadidi Shormim Kolayom Mecholalayla. The psalmist says, on you, Jerusalem, on your walls, hifkaditi, I have appointed, I have put and placed, I have deployed, shomrim, guardians, day and night. In this usage, pikida is like a deployment. It specifically signals a task or a job to be done. In Israeli, modern Israeli Hebrew, a mifaked is the one who gives orders in the army. Hafkadidi means I've placed right, guards there. They have orders to guard the city walls. It's with that in mind that I'd like to imagine that Ele Pekudei Mishkan, these are the Pekudei, these are the something of the Mishkan speaks to each of these moments in the context of what a tabernacle is supposed to be. The tabernacle as we've been taught, is the world. And the world has been given to us as a place where we are called to remember our promises. 
a place where we are called to honor our commitments, to not leave the Josephs of the world behind, that when we, when we ourselves leave places of bondage and slavery and suffering, we bring its essence with us, we bring the bones with them, we leave nothing behind to appoint guardians, those who watch over and protect. That's what tabernacle work is. Ele Pekudeh Mishkan, the name of the final portion that deals with the tabernacle, is to tell us the tabernacle is Pekudeh. To build a tabernacle, a sanctuary in this world, to build the world, is to be deployed as a guardian. To build a sanctuary in this world is to be someone who doesn't forget one's promises, small and large, and someone who is mindful of what needs to be extracted and brought forward as we leave places of narrowness and pain. All tabernacle work is pakad work. Pakude is what mishkaning is all about. The mishkan, the tabernacle, it comes to us in the immediate aftermath of standing at Sinai, at that moment of theophanous ecstasy. We're seeing God. It's remarkable. And the Torah gives us the tabernacle as if to say to us, that that revelation at Sinai is an abstraction if you don't bring it down into this world, right here. We Jews were once a powerless people. We were on the run and we felt helpless. We arrived at Sinai. We were elevated to those prophetic heights. And the Mishkan comes here to tell us that the telos of that theophany is not there, but here on Mother Earth where the rubber of spiritual attunement meets the road of practical implementation, day-to-day -day discussions and decisions that represent the real moral litmus test of how deep is your Sinai. Every day is Sinai for those who build the Mishkan. And every day is the creation of the world for those who know what Pakad means. We've learned this many times in our history we have learned what it is to forget and then to remember. We know what it is to be at the other end of those who have forgotten and have not yet remembered. Having left slavery, we, the free slaves, who knew degradation and indignity, remember to treat each and every human being as a child of God. That is our tafkid. That is our purpose in existence. When the sages name that the last portion of the book that began with our ancestors in the land of Egypt as slaves, as strangers, as gerim, as refugees in a land that wasn't theirs, when they name the last portion of the book that began that way, enveloping it with mishkan, it was to teach us that the purpose of mishkaning in the world is to make sure that no one else feels the way that we felt when we were in Egypt. That is the purpose of this Mishkan. That we, a people who wandered, we, a people who were homeless, we know in our bones that experience. Maybe that's why our ultimate sanctuary in the desert itself was not permanent. It itself moved with us as we refugeed through the desert itself. Everywhere we went, we remembered what it was to leave Egypt. We remembered that just as we are on the run, there were others that will also be on the run, and we are to make a mishkan for them. 
make a mishkan for them. We know, as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote, that we know the heart of the stranger because we were once strangers in that land of Egypt. If you are human, so is she. If she is less than human, so are you. You must fight the hatred in your heart as I, God, once fought the greatest ruler and the strongest empire in the ancient world on your behalf. I made you into the world's archetypal stranger so that you would fight for the rights of strangers, for your own and those of others, wherever they are, whomever they are, whatever the color of their skin or the nature of their culture, because though they are not in your image, says God, they are nonetheless in mine. There is only one reply strong enough to answer the question, why should I not hate the stranger? Because the stranger is me. As we look out all week, over the last week and the week before, two weeks now, a Jew who was a comedian in the month of Adar, in the month of comedy and reversals and strangeness and the surreal. The son of the only, the grandson of the only survivor of four sons who perished in the Holocaust. Leading a burgeoning democracy. It's impossible not to feel, all of us, the desecration of God's mishkan the desecration of God's tabernacle, the desecration of all that is holy. It's hard. These are the accountings of the Mishkan. These are the rules of engagement. You are deployed, each and every one of us is deployed to guard that space to guard that inviolate truth that each and every human being is created with inherent dignity and is deserving of that dignity. We are enjoined to remember, as God reminded us in the story of Sarah, that a new world is possible tomorrow, and that to lose hope in that possibility is itself antithetical to our tradition, that itself is heresy. Pakod means and God remembered Sarah, meaning each and every one of us should remember that birth is always possible. And not to give up hope. We can't give up hope. And to remember Joseph's oath. God will remember you, but will you remember me, Joseph said. God will remember you, but will you remember me? Just yesterday, a friend sent me a video of a rabbi in Uman, Rabbi Raphael Krukel, I think his name is, an Israeli who was living in Uman, which for many of you here who know a little bit about Hasidus, about Hasidut, knows that Uman is where uh, the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, Rav Nachman of Breslev, is buried, Rav Nachman of Uman. And every year, thousands of Jews descend upon Uman in Rosh Hashanah to remember Rav Nachman and to get blessings from his grave. There's a whole industry there. There are 600 Jews who live in the area. And about a week ago, a week, I'm sorry, a week before the Russian invasion, 
this rabbi realized that things were looking bad. He kind of learns from Jewish history, not from the news, what, what could happen. And so he backed up all of his belongings. And I neglected to mention what he does. He's living in Uman. He's the head of an orphanage there. So they began their trek very shortly after the invasion began. They, start, they started leaving, gathering all of the children and all the staff onto buses. You can read about this in Yair Rosenberg's blog on the Atlantic. And they stopped at a gas station on a Friday night. And they had a purpose stopping there. It was Friday night, it was Shabbos, but they were moving because it was Pikoch Nevesh. You're allowed to violate Shabbat for the sake of life itself. But they stopped at the gas station and this is what they did. This is the Pekudeha Mishkan. This is what we do. This is what it is to build a Mishkan in the world, to make Kiddush in a gas station, to remind the world that creation is for all of God's children, to remind the world that the Pekudim, that we are all deployed for the sake of love in the world, on the run, in the desert, in between, that's what we do. That's what it is to remember that you were strangers once in a land, not your own. You know that. Model that. Model what it is to create and open your homes to that which is strange. Model what it is to be a survivor. Model what it is to be fearless in the face of, of hatred. Who better than us as the Jewish people know what it is to neutralize hatred? Who better than us knows what it is to need someone to open up the door and then to say, okay, we'll open up the door. 
It's such a moment of pride seeing something like that to say, wow. And to galvanize us as a community, as we've seen the re response of our community and the response of, of all of those who have wanted to help. All of life is tabernacle work, and each of us has been deployed to do it. May God bless us with taking actions to help the refugees. May God bless us with changing hearts and minds to see the refugees and to know that they are us and we are them. Please rise.